is about to get personal. How did you get personal. Personal. Just got personal. Gary and I just got personal. It's personal. My name is Derek Bourne. My name is Cornelius Minor. My name is Val Brown. This personal. is Nick Stone. Hi, I'm Donald Miller. All right, welcome back to another episode of It's Personal. And today I have a special guest, someone who has been definitely an inspiration to me in the work that he's been doing through books and his mastery through words, someone I truly encourage all educators to, if you don't know, try and find out more about this author. Um, please introduce yourself. Yeah, so my name is Matt De La Pena, and, and I'm a children's book author. That's awesome. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, so where are you right now? I am in Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington. And you're not, you say you're from, from Brooklyn? Yeah, I live in Brooklyn, but I'm originally from San Diego, California. From San Diego, California. Awesome. So let's just hop right into it. So like, I already know, I feel like I know a lot about you as an author standpoint, but I don't know. I, well, I know one thing. You used, you used to or you still do play basketball. Yeah, so I was the first in my family to go to college thanks to the game of basketball. That's amazing. Um, I got me to college and when I went to college, I fell in love with literature. Uh-huh started to like think, well, hey, maybe I could write a book too. That's amazing. Let's go back to basketball for a second. So have you always played basketball straight like growing up or was it something you caught on a little bit later? Yes, yeah, so I think when I was really young, I liked soccer and baseball. Mm-hmm. And then I think around sixth grade, I was introduced to basketball. And in all honesty, I think basketball was a way for me to, to do my own thing. My dad, he, he liked baseball, he liked soccer, but basketball, I felt like I was on my own. And I think I needed something to like separate me from my neighborhood and, and also just what I was into at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got, I got pretty good. And when you're good at something, you feel reinforced. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to spend as much time as possible playing the game. Mm-hmm. So who did, who did you enjoy watching growing up? So here's a weird thing. I wasn't <laughs> somebody who watched basketball that much because we we didn't have cable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just like a little street street baller. Uh-huh. I would just play all day, every day. I never watched TV. Um, you know, I was aware of pro basketball. I never watched college basketball. Mm-hmm. But I was one of the, I was the kind of kid who just, I was out there on, on these streets you know, pavement, basketball courts. And that's where I spent all my time. Wow. Wow. So then I'm assuming you got into, I don't know, recreational or high school basketball or uh, middle school basketball. And then you continued that path right on to college. Yeah. So when, when I got to high school, I, at that point I was pretty good. And I kind of played above my age level always and then when I was a sophomore it started to become a possibility that hey I might be able to go to college through a sport Mm -hmm. and you know nobody in my family had been to college so I didn't really even know what it was Mm -hmm. I just knew it, it made me frustrated that wealthy kids could go to college and people in the community where I was born they they didn't go to college and that you know, that inequity just kind of frustrated me. So I was like, okay, I've got to try to get here. 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, basketball was my ticket. Mm-hmm. Would you, what would you say was the main reason why uh, there's people from your community or other family members didn't go to college? So I think I have this theory that different communities instill in their youth different messaging. Personal, 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 personal. Uh, where I grew up, it was all about loyalty and hard work. And when I say hard work, it was like college tens. It wasn't about sitting at a desk. You know, my wife, she's from New York, where her messaging was completely different. The, the messaging was go to as much school as possible, go to the best uh, college you can, excel, 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 do all these co- extracurricular activities. So I think we, me and my wife, we talk about this sometimes, we grew up with such different messaging, mm-hmm. which I think is fascinating, you know, how kids sort of navigate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find, I, I, it's funny, I talked to my wife about kind of similar situations, and we both also grew up in very different I guess different worlds in a sense where um, she grew up in, well, she was born in Nairobi and I was born in, yeah, I was born in Canada. She came to Canada when she was around six years old and just with that alone, without all the details, um, we also had different directions getting to college and how we got here. Um, me, definitely similar to you, there wasn't a lot of people from my community um, that had gone off to college and I think during my time there were there were more definitely a lot more now but I'm I'm not sure and maybe you you can talk a little bit about it as well Um, what like where did that drive come from like what what really made you say you know what I'm I can do this looking back on other people that hadn't done it before this is a weird thing but I I think I had a distinct feeling of anger when, when, when I felt like other people thought they were better than me and better than us. Mm-hmm. Um, that really, that really didn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess you could say I've always had a chip on my shoulder about how I grew up. And I wanted to be able to do what everybody else could, mm-hmm. which, which is interesting because once I got to college, I still had the chip, even though I was in college. Mm-hmm. And I think, in a, in a weird way, having a chip on your shoulder is is good in terms of motivation. It keeps you feeling like you need to achieve. Sheesh, mm-hmm. um, that was personal. So I think I feel like it's made me a better writer, but it's also where I'm coming from as a writer. So all the books I'm writing, they're really about kids growing up in in neighborhoods like mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And can we go back to this a little bit? When you say like how you grew up, so what if describe what what did your household look like when you were when you were younger? Okay, so I grew up in this part of San Diego called National City, mm-hmm. which is really close to the Mexican border. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a mixed race kid. Uh, my dad's Mexican, and my mom is white. And I think when I was growing up, 
my dad, he also had a chip on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. um, he felt like, you know, in America, the Mexican man is less than. Personal, 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 personal. And that, that was something that he hated. And so it kind of instilled that in me, like I'm always on, I was always on the lookout for th this feeling like, oh, you can't do this because of who you are, which is strange because my dad is darker than me mm -hmm. and I'm lighter and I could, I could pass if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I had this weird upbringing where I, I had the, the sort of, uh, ideology that my dad had mm -hmm. but yet i was light-skinned and, and and i was benefiting from the privilege of being light-skinned and i felt guilty about the privilege so so it was a very complicated way to grow up because i think when i was a kid nobody really talked about what it was like to grow up mixed race it was mm. it, it was sort of more you, you kept it quiet mm -hmm. um, so yeah, anyway, so National City, right by the border, um, really working class community, predominantly Mexican-American. Mm -hmm. So what, growing up, again, feeling that way, and again, you naming it as light-skinned, would you say your school, schooling was affected by any of that? Well, I think also I had really young parents. They were teen parents. And I think when you don't grow up with education, as the as the focal point of the neighborhood, mm -hmm. you're less likely to be, um, you know, driven academically. Mm -hmm. It's just the truth. Uh, um, I I think I was an average student. My two younger sisters, they were average students. We we all just sort of got by um, because that's what you did in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I got to college that I actually became a student. Mm -hmm. I, f I fell in love with not only literature, but I fell in love with learning. Mm -hmm. And I really started to be curious about um, the world and science and, and different writers. Mm -hmm. um, I, I became more of an academically inclined person. And how did you know? Like, you, I, I feel like as an educator, you, there's a time or any profession, there's a time where you know that you fall in love with something that you're doing. How did you know, like, this was my, this is my thing? So, okay, this is interesting because when I was in high school, I write, I wrote spoken word poetry. I wrote uh, slam poetry. Uh-huh. Is there anything out there? What's that? Is there anything out there that I could listen to? You know what? I have a couple poems out in the world, but prob probably not. <laughs> um, you need a mixtape, Matt. <laughs> well, the truth is the poems weren't very good because I wasn't a big reader and yeah. you know to be a good writer you have to be a great reader mm -hmm. um, but there was there was a weird part of me that was just driven to to write and the reason I wrote was to to figure out how I felt about things that confused me like it always was strange that in my community near the border, we were considered poor, but then we would always go visit my grandfather in Mexico. And the minute we crossed the border, they would call me the rich kid. So I would write about things like that. What, 
what it was like to grow up mixed. Um, I would write about basketball too. Um, but, you know, like I, I loved what you could do with words and the rhythms I could create. But then I got to college and I was so moved by some books. And I will be honest with you, the first, my first, I guess, love as a reader was African-American female authors. Like mm-hmm. I read The Color of Purple and it blew me away. I read Toni Morrison. I read Ruth Foreman. And I just was so moved by them. So I think for me, the falling in love part was, first of all, I can't believe what you're doing with a novel. And I wonder if I could ever do that too, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, like emulation. Yeah. So would, what, what did that process look like for you in college? Was it just, again, you coming from class and you're just like, you know what, I need to write to get my like get my mind off something, like get my thoughts out, or was it you going to slam poetry events? Like, can you explain a little bit about what, like how that process was? Sure. So when I was in high school, I never shared my writing with anyone. It was just very, wow. it was very like secret. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get to college, as you know, you've been to college. I mean, it's just a little more open to people who are academically curious or intellectually curious. Mm-hmm. And so I started to share with professors. And then I entered this contest. Um, and I know, you know, it was the first time I'd ever shared my writing with anybody I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I won this contest and it was like for $2,000. Oh, wow. And it was so reinforcing. Um, and, and, you know, the truth is when other people tell you you can do something, Mm-hmm. you're more likely to listen to it than if you are telling yourself sure. that, mm-hmm. sadly, when you're young. Mm-hmm. So that made me feel like, oh, that's interesting. Um, maybe I should share it more. And then the school paper let me have this thing called the Poet's Corner, where every week I would put a poem in there. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is I was living this, this weird life of being a college basketball player and then doing this writing for the college paper where the basketball, my teammates, they would make fun of me like, oh, you know, look at Matt, he's a poet. This is weird, he's a weirdo. But then some of the people in the English world, the English department world, they were like, why are we letting this basketball player write poetry oh, wow. in the street? Whoa. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's that feeling of not really be belonging to either group. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like I knew I wasn't good enough to play basketball beyond college. Uh-huh. And so it was almost like one door I knew would be closing by the time I was done with college. Mm-hmm. But this other door was sort of opening. And I never thought I could be published or anything, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like make a living off writing. But I was really. So then I, I, I will tell you the truth. What? The, the thing that changed things for me is I started to think, well, what I want to write about is people living on the quote unquote wrong side of the tracks. Because when I was growing up, you didn't read too many stories about that. When you did, it, it was part of the canon, like House on Mango Street. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was my favorite book because it was like she was writing about me or my community. 
So I thought to myself, if, if I could ever write professionally, I would only write about working class people mm -hmm. and mixed race people because that was what was interesting to me. So did you still have that like mixed race, mixed kid feeling when you're in college? Well, I think that's when I really started to explore it. You know, um, what does this mean? How come, like, I'm, I'm loving being in college, but then when I go back home and I talk to my uncles, I almost want to dumb down what I'm learning because I don't want them to think that I'm not down anymore. Does that make sense? You yeah, know? yeah, no, I totally, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So I, sort of like you, you sort of shortchange the education you're getting because you still want to be part of, you still want to be your uncle's guy, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I totally understand. Totally. And I think the tricky part is that you are, you're so proud of yourself for what you've accomplished and you want to share it. But at the same time, again, you're mixing feelings because you're not wanting to make someone else feel a certain way. And then that's going to, yeah, it's going to affect that relationship. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally understand. Tough territory that nobody prepares you for. Personal, 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 personal. Did you have siblings, you said? Yeah, I have two younger sisters. Two younger sisters, okay. So did you feel, did, have they ever talked about... I guess, similar situations where they're dealing with being the mixed kids? You know what, one of them, so one of them definitely felt it in high school. Mm -hmm. And then my, the sisters who, who's closest in age to me, I don't think she, it really hit her until she was a parent. Oh wow. Um, so that's when she started to really deal with it because she, she, you know, she was good at just assimilating mm -hmm. but then when she became a parent she's like well you know like i want to honor who i am so it came to her later and it's fascinating i think mixed kids they well sometimes a mixed kid will move from one race to the other you know in terms of how they identify <laughs> but um i also think it's interesting when you have that awakening that hey there's some things i haven't really dealt with here and i'm now 35 mm -hmm. and now i'm starting to want to explore that so i think it hits people at different ages well especially where you're living now i'm sure that's a very that's another complexity that i don't even know about you know yeah yeah it's been very um very eye-opening at the same time it reassures me of a number of things about myself and kind of where I want to go from here. Just not just like professionally, but like mentally, physically, um, just knowing more about myself and where I'm from and just being sure is something I've over the last few years definitely put at the forefront of like who I am and what I kind of want to be. And that's stuff that can come out in your work, you know? Ex exactly, exactly, exactly. So. Matt, you have two two kids, you said? I do. Two. Okay, so could you speak a little bit about how do you, growing up as like a mixed kid, how do you yeah. 
talk to kids about this stuff? Well, my favorite thing is to actually just own it right off the bat. Like, here's my experience. I'm a mixed kid. It, it doesn't matter if I'm in a predominantly Mexican-American school or if I'm in a predominantly white school or if I'm in a very diverse school. I just always, right off the bat, own it. Because what a lot of kids don't realize is that mixed kids are the highest growing demographic in, in, in America. Mixed kids are the highest growing demographic in, in, in America. Um, you know, my own kids are even more mixed than me. So my wife is Chinese and, and you know, so my daughter and my son, they're a quarter Mexican, a quarter white and a half Chinese. Mm -hmm. So I just own it right off the bat. Uh, and what, what I love is that there's always a kid in the elementary school, in the middle school, in the high school who identifies with that. And, and it's almost like some of them haven't really thought about it because, you know, they're just living their lives. Yeah. They haven't got to that point where they're thinking about it. And here's a moment where somebody's owning it on stage and it, it causes them to think, oh, I'm a mixed kid too. <laughs> yeah. And what do I think about that? And so I feel like the best thing you can do as a visiting author when you're in a school is to just be honest and tell people who you are. Yeah! And they'll, they'll work with what the information that they're getting the way that works for them at that moment, you know? Mm -hmm. It's funny because your kids sound exactly like the kids that I have in my classroom. Like, is that right? It's ex they're ex exactly the same. Like, I teach at Singapore American School, where all kids need an American passport. Most parents are there because of work, and I have kids who are half. They, and then we've worked on identity throughout the whole entire year. And it's been yeah. really cool to just listen to, have them figure out first and notice that they are from so many different places and backgrounds. Yeah. And then, like you said, owning it, saying I am half Indian, I am half American. Just so nice to hear. And at the same time, having them listen and talk to other people about it. And at the same time, being able to ask questions in an appropriate way. To other students about it is just it's really cool to listen to really really cool to listen to and, and you i know, think, think about think about these students they have this the students that you're teaching they have stories that nobody else could ever write mm -hmm. because they have a reality that's different you know they're in an international school they're mixed race you know like they have an american passport that's a, it's mm -hmm. wild it is wild it is really really wild and i think as they dissect it and this is I'm talking third graders, so they're like seven and eight years old. Yeah. As they're dissecting it, they're starting to notice more and more and more. And I think as they continue, I, and I feel like most of their lives are going to be in and out of different countries because their parents are moving so often, yep. that complexity is continuing to grow even more. And I think the more they talk about their identity, and I think, like you said, own it, yep. the more comfortable they're going to be sharing it and like just saying like, this is who I am, this is where I'm from, et cetera. Um, yeah, your, your kids sound yeah, just absolutely. like my kids for sure. Totally, totally. What is your writing process? And what was your kind of um, 
how did you start working with Christian? Um, he's, uh, also, he's been so like his artwork for me has been just, it's hard to describe. I just love everything about his, it's hard. To, I want to say it's like simplicity, but at the same time, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I 100% do. But at the same time, it has this kind of like this look and flair, but it's still simple. I don't know. Like, how, how does that work? How does that duo work for you? And like, what is your process like for when okay, you're writing? So, well, so I got to tell you, you just hit on something that is so key to, to Christian and my relationship. So we've done two books. And what happens with Christian is he takes my words, which I, I will be honest, they tend to be a little heavy for mm -hmm. a picture book. Mm -hmm. But when he gets a hold of them, he adds this whimsy that undercuts some of my heaviness. Mm. And he truly makes a more balanced picture book than it could be if, if I wasn't working with him. Mm -hmm. So like the way I describe his work is it's, it's got soul, Mm. But it's also got this whimsical note mm -hmm. that I think kids really, they find it um, easy to access. Mm -hmm. you know? I, I, yeah, totally. When I go into schools and I watch them look at the pictures, I just see them feel like they can be a part of this right off the bat. There's no, I'm trying to figure it out. It just, it's visceral. Mm -hmm. You know, the reaction of young kids with his work, which is really wonderful to see. Mm -hmm. he, I will tell you, he's a very interesting person because what I love is he's not driven by New York Times bestseller lists. Mm -hmm. He's not driven by becoming the biggest illustrator in the world. He just loves to make things. Mm -hmm. and Creator. Yes. And, and I will tell you, he, hopefully I'm not speaking out of school, but he has a tough background. Um, it's a miracle that he's, he is where he is. And he really values, you know, the position he's in. And, and I love that he just keeps it simple and not, not just in the work, but also in his approach to life. He's a very, just a, a, a personal, 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 a very um, simple person who wants to be among people that he feels like he wants to have community with. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's a, he's a really good dude. Mm -hmm. and, then, and that's who you people want to be around. Good people, exactly. right? Yeah. So how did, how did you, how did you like, how did you find each other? So we have the same agent. Um, uh, okay. I've worked with people the, every illustrator I've ever worked with is represented by the same agent I have. Um, and so basically the way we first got linked up is Christian was working at Pixar as doing animation, mm -hmm. but he was kind of low on the totem pole, right? He was like, uh, he, he was, I think he was like not interning, but he was very low mm -hmm. uh, his position. And he was starting to think maybe I'm better at still pictures than animation. So he kept this blog called the art of fun. Mm -hmm. And my agent signed him and he said, you know, like I have this new illustrator. I think you'd be a good match with. I'd only worked with one other 
illustrator at the time it was Kadir Nelson, who's you know a genius in his own right. Mm -hmm. But he he goes just look through his blog and see if there's anything that inspired. Well, at that same time, I was about to have my first kid, wow. um, and I was starting to think about the art of the picture book. Mm -hmm. And so, one of the things I was thinking about is how do you tell a kid who's coming from less, you know, uh, financial security that he's living a beautiful life? Mm -hmm. How do you do that? What what does that look like? So I wanted to tell that story. Originally, I was thinking about a YA novel about that, but then. I saw Christian's work and I thought, you know what? I wonder if I could do this story in a picture book. And that's how Last Stop on Market Street was born. Wow. And we linked up and, and it was really, it was really a fun experience. Wow. It seems like he knows himself very well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've, again, just, I found him through you. Um, I often, I'm, I, I love, drawing i love art i love creating and i always when i look at picture books the first thing i look at are the pictures it's just i'm a very Absolutely. visual visual person and again going back to what you said when i look at his work it just i can almost feel him through his drawings as much as possible um and just yeah. like what he's thinking and how he's feeling um he does a really great job of really making the words um, show up through the pictures. I really Can I make a recommendation? He has a brand new book. It's his uh -huh. first solo project. It's called Another. Um, it just came out last week. Oh wow! And it's 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 really a beautiful story about a little girl who meets an alternative version of herself. Mm -hmm. It's called Another. And is he did did he do the um, the writing and the illustrations? He did the story, uh, there's no words. So it's a wordless oh, I love wordless books. Oh, it's great. I think your third graders would love it. Another, okay. I'm gonna look that up right now. And the last thing, Matt, is you just recently let published another book, Superman. Yeah. Um, can you just share a little bit about that process and um, the excitement around that right now? Because so there's a lot of... Um, like comic and Marvel and DC, like there's a lot of that happening in film um, right now. And it's really cool to see Superman come up again because again, Superman is like the first kind of superhero. No. Right? So no, no pressure or anything. <laughs> what happened is DC and Random House formed this collaboration for four books. They were gonna do Batman, they were gonna do Wonder Woman, Batman, Catwoman and Superman. Mm -hmm. They came to me and said, would you want to do one of these? And immediately I thought, okay, if I'm going to ever do, you know, uh, an IP project like this, Superman's the one. And for me, the story immediately came to mind. To me, Superman is the ultimate immigrant. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to write about immigration using Superman as my kind of like, my commercial hook. Uh -huh. So the way I can get into readers' hands to talk about immigration is this iconic storyline of Superman. Wow. But underneath it all, I got to explore this really cool story of immigration in Smallville. You know, there's these migrant workers, they're they're disappearing, what's going on? There's this new stop and search law that's being 
proposed in Smallville that's kind of racist. Um, and I got to do this storyline where Clark, when he learns who he really is, that he's not really an American or a Smallville local. He's an immigrant. And he starts to align himself with the immigrant population in that community. You know, I will be honest with you, I'm a li- sometimes I get a little worried that the Superman purists will feel like I've stolen uh, their superhero. Mm-hmm. But this was the story that I wanted to tell um, with Superman, and it's the only one I would have told. So wow. it, it was, to me, a great opportunity. That's a good book talk, Matt. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> You sold me. Like, I, I was I wanted to read it anyway, but you definitely sold me. Oh cool, cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Like I like I talk about it. Um I, I talked about this with my wife yesterday as well. Like I wasn't I was never a big reader um growing up. I think mainly I was like a nonfiction reader. I would read a lot of like self-help, um, biographies about specific people, and then my wife within like the last three years or so she was like would you be interested in like reading some like realistic fiction like I always loved picture books like that was my thing she started giving me more um, novels that kind of looked like me and those are the ones that really made me feel like wow like there are books out there that I'm really interested in or I can connect with Um, and I feel like exactly and I feel like with this book just by listening to you is definitely going to connect with a lot of people um, regardless of whether they enjoy the comic kind of superhero theme, I think it's definitely going to go beyond that. I hope so. You know, like every book is is an opportunity. That's the way I look at it. And and you should never go into a book with a message. Of course, we all know that. But you should go into a book with a point of view mm-hmm. when you're an author. Mm-hmm. And my point of view is like, hey, I want to talk about certain communities and certain people and, and show mom- the moments of grace and dignity in their lives. And that's what I hope to do if, if it's like a picture book or if it's a Superman novel. Mm-hmm. Now, that's amazing. That is amazing. That is amazing. Hey, I truly appreciate your time today. I know you are a busy man. You, again, had a conference today. You're in your hotel. You're spending time hanging out with me. Um, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, last thing, actually, you know what? I saw a tweet last year of you and multiple people playing basketball. Oh, yeah. Um, that really excited me, like, a lot. <laughs> so, like, yeah. I, played, I played basketball in college a little bit. And oh, cool. educators and authors just, like, waking up in the morning before conferences like just playing a pickup game that really really excites me so again it's like community you know it is it totally is it totally is and I was like I can't remember who took the picture but I went and I looked I looked at the picture I was like wow like these guys are like out super early sun barely up and like really going at it so I was super impressed and I told um I talked to Colby a little bit while a little while ago and I said Next NCT, wherever it is, if I ever get to go, I will definitely join you guys. <laughs> personal, 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 personal. I'll tell you what, we need a point guard. You know? <laughs>
<laughs> distribute the ball a little bit, keep the guys happy. No, seriously, it was so much fun to blend authors and educators in the same game. You know what I mean? Because I do. I love my fellow authors, but the one thing I've, I've that was unexpected for me is I'm very close with so many educators because I go to NCT all the time. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Again, that's something I definitely enjoyed seeing and. You never know. Some you might see me, see me sometime. I hope so. <laughs> I, I got a hard foul for you, <laughs> <laughs> Matt. Thanks again. Um, what? Where can people find you? You know what? I'm on Twitter at Matt Delapena, and I usually do my favorite stuff right now is on Instagram at Matt Delapena on Instagram because I like to like read books with my daughter and share what we read, and then I. I love the picture-driven social media. Awesome. Check out Max on Instagram and Twitter where I find um, lots of educators and authors there often sharing great work and sharing what they're doing at home and within their profession. So, Matt, thanks again. I appreciate it, and I hope to talk to you soon. It was an honor, man. Thank you so much. All right. Take care.